You are listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Thank you so much, Carson family. Uh, what a treat to have you guys here this morning, uh, participating with us in worship. And thank you again for joining us online. We never take that for granted. And so we have a beautiful passage this morning, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. We're in a series uh, all the way through the Gospel of Luke entitled The Real Jesus. And this morning, we have the privilege to learn about our Father and his hospitality as we pray to him. Uh, Last weekend, my wife and I were in the Twin Cities just hanging out with our kids. We had a wonderful time. On our way back, we were near Albert Lee, and we hit a rainstorm, Uh, maybe more of a deluge. It came down in buckets. And something happened that really, I mean, it was... It was a challenging time. Uh, I'm driving a van at 60 miles an hour, and I began hydroplaning on the highway like I'd never done before. And it felt like I was on ice because the van started to sway back and forth, back and forth. And then there was a time, and this is happening quickly, milliseconds it seems like, the van started going sideways and I could see in my mind's eye what the future was. Hit the guardrail, flip over, some serious injuries. And then I'm hearing my wife who's riding shotgun shoot up a bullet prayer. Lord, please, no. It was something like that. It is, this is happening live, you know, white knuckle. And then almost immediately, it seemed like the van got traction, slowing down, straightened the van out, got back for the next hour. Boy, the deluge continued. And as I was preparing for this morning's talk in Luke 11, I thought about that situation. I thought about Ellen's bullet prayer, and I asked myself the question, did our Heavenly Father hear that bullet prayer? Did he answer it in the affirmative? And was he a part of that rescue mission? We come to a passage this morning that I think will answer that question. Luke 11. Let's begin looking at verse 1, because verse 1 is so key to this whole passage. And so draw your attention there. He, Jesus, was praying. It says, in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, right out of the gate, we have application, folks. If you're in any kind of ministry, leading, mentoring, discipling. Let's live like John the Baptist and Jesus. Let's teach those that we have the privilege to influence how to pray. That's what John did. And so basically the disciples knew that was going on. They said, Jesus, do what John did to his disciples to us. Now, I am convinced that the prayer life of Jesus was catalytic to the disciples' spiritual growth. I trust you would agree with me that when you are serious about learning something, we usually go where? To the best source. And so I like golf, and if I want to learn how to play golf, I go to a golf pro or at West Wind, I go to Derek Mueller. 
That's the word on the street. Uh, if you want to learn how to sing, what do you do? You, you go to get voice lessons or someone who's a recording artist, or if you come to Westwind, you go to Nate the Great. He'll help you out. If you want to get out of debt, what do you do? Well, you go to a financial advisor. Or you could go to Westwind, take financial peace under Isaac Norton. Yes, we, we go to the best. So here's what the disciples are doing. It's inspiring, folks. They saw the life of Christ. He's a man of prayer. And they say, Jesus, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples. Now, I find it remarkable when I study the Gospels, I find this. The disciples never asked, Lord, teach us to lead, teach us to counsel, teach us to heal. It never asked, teach us to preach. And I wonder why. I think I discovered the answer. Because they saw that Jesus' ministry began on his knees in prayer, and that his leading, his counseling, his healing, teaching, preaching ministry was birthed in prayer. And boy, that should inspire all of us. And so the disciples, I hope we have their kind of heart this morning. They saw Jesus pray, and they were inspired they saw him get up early and have that intimate time with his father. And they said, Lord, we're jealous for that kind of intimacy. They saw that the kingdom of God came when Jesus prayed. They saw that Jesus believed prayer is the work of the ministry and they wanted to emulate him. They saw that Jesus never got trapped in the hustle and bustle of life like we talked about last week. We saw that as Mary was intimate with Jesus, Jesus was intimate with his father. And they said, Lord, teach us to be like that. And so I hope as we come this morning that we have that kind of heart to be people of prayer. Again, to be sitting at the feet of Jesus, have an intimacy with him, with the father, with the spirit. And then everything we do is birthed in prayer. And then the fruit will come. And so... There is no doubt in my mind, this passage is motivational. It wants to encourage us and inspire us, not only how to pray, but longing to pray like Jesus did. Now, if you did download your digital guide, as Scott encouraged this morning, there is a sermon outline, and I want to draw your attention this morning to the blessing. And the blessing is this, because of the truths taught by Jesus. In Luke chapter 11, every Christian should long to pray daily. Now, before we jump into three beautiful truths about our Heavenly Father, I do want to uh, create a contrast between the Old and New Testament, and I think it's kind of a paradigm shift. The nation of Israel, the people of God, addressed God as Father in the Old Testament. But it was only about a handful of times that we have record. And it's always in a communal corporate sense. We don't have individuals like Daniel praying our father. But when Jesus shows up, there is a transition. There is a paradigm shift. And when he's teaching his disciples to pray, one of the beautiful things that we have here in the Gospels, we pray to our father in Jesus' name through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful way to pray. And folks, this is an intimate kind of prayer. This is a child coming to his father in prayer. 
So keep that in mind as we go through this wonderful section. So three truths this morning. Let's dive in. Truth number one, God is a hospitable father. And I want to take you a little bit back to last week. Uh, I said that Luke is going to be filled with a culture of hospitality, that we have to understand biblical and Eastern hospitality if we're going to understand a lot of Luke. Guess what? We come to another passage that has hospitality at the core of its teaching. And when we understand the biblical hospitality, the Eastern hospitality, we'll understand this teaching on prayer. And so what does Jesus do in Luke 11? He starts out with some beautiful truths about how to pray, what to pray. Then he closes with an exhortation, ask, seek, and knock. But sandwiched between that is this beautiful parable. And so this morning, I want to start with the parable. I want us to look at verses 5 through 8 first, and then we'll close out with the front and back end. And so to motivate us to pray, what does Jesus do? He gives us this parable about an individual who late at night, what does he do? He disrupts his neighbor and family to provide for a guest who's visiting the community. Now, the key to understanding this passage is to realize that verses 5 through 7 are one big question. And the question starts out, look at verse 5 if you would, asking which one of you. This is so crucial to understanding the passage. The ESV really does a good job in translating this. Some of our English translations don't give the idea that this is a question. But this is a question. So here's what Jesus is asking. He's saying, which one of you who's going to practice biblical and Eastern hospitality would receive a guest, would receive a friend into their community that needs food, that needs lodging, and their basic needs met, which one of you would tell them, listen, don't bother me, I'm sleeping, go away, not interested? Here's the deal, folks. This is a rhetorical question. It's already answered in their minds which one of you, the disciples are hearing this and saying, of course, nobody would act like that. Nobody would reject someone who is a guest in a community that has need for food, for shelter, for their basic needs, for refreshments. And so if I can kind of give you a picture of how it might look like in the ancient world, just imagine you're in Galilee, which is the north, and you're heading south to Jerusalem. You would take what's called the Transjordanian Highway. You would follow the Jordan River. You would stop off in a village known as Jericho. We talked about Jericho uh, a few weeks ago. And so what happens is in the village, the elders already appointed a host. And the host would welcome any guests into the village that day or evening. So here's a guy traveling from Galilee to Jericho, long day. Now, please remember, no buses, no cars, no motorcycles, no Ubers. Either walked or you're on donkey. So just imagine a full day trip. You get in late, you're tired, you're hungry, you're dirty, you're thirsty, you're worn out. The host greets you. How can I help you, sir? 
oh, hey, can I get some lodging? I'm hungry. I haven't had dinner. It'd be great to even get a shower before I go to bed. You bet. And so what does the host do? He gathers his resources, immediately goes to his neighbor, says, hey, we got a guest in our community. Boom. What does the guy do? He doesn't say, go away. <laughs> he doesn't say, listen, my family's sleeping. No, that's a rhetorical thing that we already addressed. He gets up, his wife gets up, his kids get up, and they get up eagerly to do what? Find some bread, some leftover meat from the day, some vegetables, maybe a guest room, a nice bucket shower. Why? This is a culture of hospitality. This is a culture of honor and shame. And it would be shameful to not do that, not only to the guests, but to the elders to the people, and to the village of Jericho. One of the other keys to this passage is found in verse 8. I'd like to draw your attention to it. Most translations say, because of persistence, the guy's going to get up. And that's an unfortunate translation. And uh, we did a lot of studying on this passage. And here's the deal. That word in the original language wasn't translated persistence until the third century AD. And for hundreds of years, it was only translated in the ancient world, in a lot of literature, the word shamelessness. How interesting. Why shamelessness? Because when the guy gets up with his wife and kids, offers food, maybe lodging, refreshment, a shower, is to avoid shame in a culture of honor and shame. To put it positively, it's an issue of honor. And so think about what's going on here. Jesus tells this wonderful parable to give us a picture of what? God the Father who is so welcoming, who is so hospitable, who is so honorable, he gets up, he hears our request, and he joyfully engages. That's the picture. Now, I want to go back to last week. I shared with you a story about a young man named Brahma. In 2007, this gentleman welcomed us into the village of Sunja for the first time, a team of four. He emptied his home out completely, his courtyard. He cleaned it beautifully. We stayed there for two weeks. Why? Culture of hospitality and a culture of honor and shame. If Brahma didn't do that as a host, the elders in chief would have been dishonored the guests would have been dishonored, the people would have been dishonored, and the name of Sunja would have spread as dishonorable. But it's just the opposite because he honored us. He honored the elders in chief, the people, and the name of Sunja spread to other villages. Hey, Sunja is hosting four Americans for two weeks, and Brema Kunite gave them their home. What a beautiful picture. That's what's going on here. Now, to try to put it into Western terms, it's really hard because we don't practice things like that. But the best analogy I could give, picture this. This past Monday, we had some huge storms. And, you know, a couple hundred thousand people in our area lost power. And it was, and still are without power, and today's Thursday. And so here's the deal, folks. Um, 
Uh, we got our power back on after about 12 hours, 9 o'clock at night. We were so thankful. But just imagine one of my colleagues, Nathan, Nathan and Jamie led in worship this morning. They didn't get their power. Just imagine they came. We're in the same town, Adele, rang the doorbell at midnight, and they saying, you know, Keith, sorry to interrupt. I, I know you're sleeping, but, man, we don't have power, and we haven't eaten, and we it's just not going to be a good night with, with air conditioning. And, you know, any chance we could, like, just stay here for the night. How do you think I would respond? <laughs> of course, Nate, come on in. We got a basement, we got a guest room, and boy, let me get you a meal. Why do you do that? Because Christians are called to hospitality, just like the biblical and Eastern world. We are commanded, 1 Peter 4, to have a ministry of hospitality. Elders and pastors, that's one of the, the basic qualifications, to be hospitable. Could you imagine me saying, sorry, Nate, sleeping, tired, you know, try someone else. Never, ever do that. That's the picture. So what do we learn? There's a couple great lessons. Lesson number one, the Apostle Paul said this, you and I have the privilege to pray without ceasing. Morning, noon, and night, we have the privilege to come to our Heavenly Father, to knock on the heavenly door and say, Dad, hey, here's my heart. Here's what's going on. That's the privilege, folks. And so be encouraged that your father is eager to hear your requests. But secondly, and beautifully, there's a wonderful nuance here, that God will always hear and answer your prayer, our prayer, according to his, what brings him glory, what brings him honor, and what brings him fame. And so this prayer is attached to God's honor. When we pray, when God hears and responds, he is honored, he is glorified, his name and fame spread. Let me show you that in scripture. There's a few uh, Psalms where David captured that and then Jeremiah, and then we'll come back to Luke. But let's look at Psalm 2511. Look what David says. Because of your name, Yahweh, Forgive my sin, for it is great. Then in Psalm 23, he leads me along the right path. Why? For his name's sake. When God directs our life, when he makes our path clear, when he gives us guidance, he's glorified and our life is led. What a beautiful picture. The prophet Jeremiah captured this. Though our guilt testifies against us, Yahweh, act for your name's sake. Yahweh, whatever you do, you be glorified. This is about your name, your honor, your fame. And we align with that. Now we come back to Luke. Look how Jesus teaches the disciples and us to pray. It's all about the fame, honor, glory, and name of God. Look at verse two, if you would. Luke 11, Father, your name be honored as holy. Do you see the connection, folks? And so here is this honorable father. As we knock on his door, he gets up, and he works according to his glory, honor, and fame, and he blesses the people who come to him. And so we have an eager father who's willing to hear, please keep coming. We encourage that. Secondly, truth number two, God is a sovereign father. This is beautiful. Two, two pictures here. Number one, he is sovereign over his kingdom. And so verse two, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. 
Now, friends, one of the beautiful things at 50,000 feet when we think about prayer is, in prayer, we prioritize the things that God prioritizes. What's his priority here? It's his kingdom coming. What a beautiful song that was led this morning by Nate and Jamie. Just praying that. It's just so beautiful. It inspires. Jesus launched his public ministry saying this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so when we pray your kingdom come, what's the first implication? The first implication is that people who are outside of God's kingdom would cross the line and become part of God's kingdom. They would go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his glorious light. I find it remarkable that Luke records this happened at Calvary. Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know what happened? There's one of the thieves whose heart is touched. He repents. He looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Jesus responds, today you'll be with me in paradise in my kingdom. Right there at Calvary, a repentant thief crossed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so the challenge for all of us folks is not only to pray uh, for people that are in our sphere of influence, but to engage them, as Luke would encourage in Acts 4, with boldness, to engage people who need the Lord. And so I hope you have a prayer list. I hope you, you have a heart like Jesus did to see God's kingdom coming in people's lives. And again, as we live generous with our time, our treasure, our talent and touch, and we invest in the things that God prioritizes, his kingdom continues to come. So the first thing, he's sovereign over his kingdom. Secondly, he's sovereign over his family. Let's look again at verses three and four. Beautiful teaching here. Jesus teaches us, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. So here's what Jesus does. He introduces this section of prayer with four personal pronouns. He teaches us to play, pray in the plural for the family of God. You know, we're so... Uh, individualized in our Western civilization. But in, again, in the Eastern world, it's, it's about community. So Jesus is teaching us to pray for the community, for the family, for each other. What a blessing. And so this truth pairs beautifully with the idea that God is our Father and we are brothers and sisters. We are family in Christ. And therefore, what are we encouraged to do? to pray for each other, and to bless each other in Jesus' name. Some time ago, we had a family in our uh, church fall into just, just difficult times. And I got a call from a person totally anonymous. And the person said, hey, I know about so-and-so, and they have a need, and I have a cash gift that I'd like to uh, get to them. Would you be the carrier pastor? I said, sure, we'll keep it anonymous. Uh, no receipt was needed, no tax write-off was needed, and it was just a generous gift. And I'll never forget delivering that gift. And the individual said to me, 
you know, this has never, ever happened to me. I don't know how to respond. And two thoughts came to my mind. And I says, you know, respond potentially like this. One, remember God's love for you. He's caring for you. He's thinking about you. But remember that God's family loves you. They're praying for you and they're blessing you. That's what it means to give us this day our daily bread. If I have two loaves and I have a neighbor who needs a loaf, wow, I enjoy my one and I share with the other. This is more about community. Again, going back to the hospitable father. And so what a great way to pray. One of the other things that I just wanted to encourage, especially during this time of COVID, and sometimes we don't see the family of God and we really miss you, but please know this, the elders and staff, we work hard to keep a prayer list, a database. And so Tuesday and Wednesday, we pray corporately together. We challenge the elders and staff to pray for the body of Christ throughout the week. So although we miss you and sometimes we don't see you, please know this, we do our best to pray for you. Why? We're family. We're in a community. This is about us, and this is how Jesus taught us to pray. Now, finally, we wrap it up, tie it together. Truth number three, God is a benevolent father. Look at verses 9 through 13 again. So I say to you, Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, love this, receives. And the one who searches, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead of a fish. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If then, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so here's the beautiful way Jesus concludes. He exhorts us, pray. Why? Because we have a heavenly Father who is absolutely hospitable, who is sovereign over his kingdom and family, brings honor to his name and good to his people, and he is absolutely benevolent. So keep on. One of the beautiful things we see in this passage is these words are in the present tense. And all that means is never stop coming. Why? Because God is hospitable. You know, some interpret this passage that we just got to persist and we got to beat the door down and we somehow just got to wear God out. It's just the opposite, folks. He is eager. He is anticipating. His ear, according to scripture, is inclined to us. He is a good, good father. There's an argument here by Jesus and it's a lesser to greater argument. And I know this intuitively. I'm sinful, but I love to give good gifts to my children. God is perfectly holy. His name is honorable. How much more so? He's going to give good gifts to those who ask. And so Luke eleven ten encourages us, keep on why we're going to receive. Keep on why we will find. Keep on praying why? Because the door will be swung wide open. When we pray, we are expanding our capacity to receive from God. Receive what from God? 
receive his good gifts, his best gifts, because he is a benevolent heavenly father. Now, Jesus closes here with the ultimate gift to remind us of how benevolent, how gracious, how good the father is. Let me draw your attention to verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so the heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So let me ask you a question. Can you imagine going to the Father in the name of God the Son, in the name of Jesus, and asking for more power, more cleansing, more joy of the Holy Spirit, and be told, sorry, (laughs) go away? Folks, that's impossible. The Father will get up and give us as much of himself as we desire. That's what Jesus is teaching. The greatest gift, the ultimate gift, is the gift of himself, the gift of his presence, the gift of the third person of the Trinity, living, indwelling, empowering, coming alongside of us to bear much fruit for God's kingdom and glory. What a great gift we have. And so in closing, just a few questions. Are you praying as Jesus taught us? Are you, like the disciples, wanting to learn how to pray? Well, we have a primer here. Praying knowing that God, your Father, is hospitable. He will welcome you. Praying knowing that God, the Father, is sovereign. He has a kingdom that's coming. Pray for people who aren't in that kingdom. Engage them boldly. Live generously with your time, treasure, talent, and touch. Pray to the Father knowing he's benevolent. If he gives the greatest gift, the gift of his Holy Spirit, if we who are sinful give our children gifts, how much more so our heavenly Father gives the best of gifts. Do you have needs today? Your heavenly Father's He's there, he's he's listening, he's willing to engage. But ultimately, what he wants for you and me, he wants us to long for him. His presence, his power, the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He bids us come. Come in accordance with how Jesus taught us to pray. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy, what a joy to know you are eager, your door is open, and you are a hospitable Father. Thank you for this beautiful parable. You would never turn us away. Oh, we marvel in that. Thank you for your sovereignty, Lord, that you know what is best for us. Thank you that your kingdom is coming, and we want to participate in that, Lord. Give us a heart for not yet Christian people. Thank you for our family, our faith family, that we can care for each other, that we can pray for each other, and that is the foundational thing that we should always be doing. Make us a people of prayer. Make Westwood a house of prayer. And thank you, Lord, that you're a good, good Father. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.